Welcome to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW out in the Pacific Northwest, also streaming live to CHD TV, streaming on the internet. Hello, people on Facebook, although we're a little shadow band there, but do try to share anyway and see uh, who we can reach. Um, on this show, like our introduction theme music says, we need a revolution. And you know what? We are in a revolution. We are in this amazing, on our side, peaceful revolution, a revolution that is waking people up to what true health is, a revolution that is guiding us to really understand what freedom is, how easy it is to accidentally hand it over, um, and how important it is to protect it. Um, so I do feel like everything that we have been going through in the past two years, there is the silver lining of, of growth for humanity, hope for humanity, but we've got a lot more work to do, well, a whole heck of a lot more work to do. And I'm so glad to be on this journey um, to everyone out there, those who have discovered the show, discovered each other, um, medical freedom groups, all sorts of freedom groups are, are growing and uniting and looking for those peaceful um, solutions to move us forward. And, you know, with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and bring on our first guest. His name is Dr. Devin Brassard. He's a, a chiropractor. Hello, Dr. Devin. Hey, happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. Um, so, you know, in this peaceful revolution, this healing journey, um, chiropractors have, I think they're, they're getting a new look, a new surge of, of the general public understanding the value of the sort of healing that you offer, because we have seen um, allopathic medicine and industrial medicine be so harmful that people are looking around and going, what else is there? What else in the, is there? And they're, and they're kind of turning and looking back at those older, more established modalities that may have been attacked by the mainstream medicine and still are somewhat. Um, but they're seeing that health and healing can happen and they don't have to be in a pharmaceutical. They don't have to be in this industrial clinical setting. They can be something much more um, intimate and um, holistic. And that's where I feel like the chiropractors are, I'm hoping going to get a whole new age of respect. <laughs> well, you, you hit it on the head, but I think ultimately, I think what people are looking for and what they, they've realized they haven't had is a provider they can trust. Um, mm. When the pandemic hit and people were desperate for advice and guidance and, and they were told by the medical profession, we've got this two weeks, we're going to lock this down, we're going to do yep. it. And then, and people are so good hearted and good natured that people wanted to trust their providers and, and, and it's taken a lot of, it's taken a lot of bad advice from the medical profession that has yeah. led to that mistrust within the public. So ultimately, I mean, you hit it on the head, the chiropractic profession has been around for over a hundred years. And in mm -hmm. fact, the, one of the studies that is very interesting is looking at a hundred years ago, Spanish flu, 1918, uh, 
down at Palmer College of Chiropractic, they did a big study where they compared patients that had Spanish flu getting adjusted versus a medical clinic. And the survival rates were, I mean, they had one person die out of thousands in the Palmer wow. Chiropractic College Clinic compared to 13% of the medical doctor's office. And and, and we've had this similar experience. We've, mm-hmm. in our clinic, we've seen hundreds of patients that have had COVID and, and not a single one has died. Not a single one's been hospitalized. Not a single one has had chronic illness. So you're right. People are starting to starting to maybe maybe ask more questions and then yes. try to get more answers that make sense since the answers that what they've been getting have not made sense. Yeah, exactly. So for those uh, listening and watching the show, um, I've pulled up the, the website. It's um, Dr. Devin's website. He's in Washington State. It's symmetrychiropracticwc.com symmetrychiropracticwc.com. Um, and I love the little video there of the baby because I think most people don't realize that babies, newborn babies um, can get chiropractic care and, and indeed they need it because I mean that journey out of mama into the world, talk about spine crunching, right? <laughs> That's it's, it's hard for everybody involved. Yeah. 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 So um, tell us a little bit about, about yourself um, and, you know, as a chiropractor and a little bit about most people who aren't familiar with, uh, you know, what a chiropractor does, all they think is spinal adjustment because of pain in the back. And it's so much more than that. Well, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it really comes down to a basic understanding of neurology. We have this incredibly advanced brain um, and this incredibly advanced brain is unique to the human being species. And and, and ultimately, it transmits signals from our spinal cord back and forth, and it coordinates every single cell process function within our body. And, and really what chiropractors look at is we look at how is the communication between the brain and the body? How's that brain-to-body communication happening? How's that nervous system functioning so that their body can do its best job? So really, and you, you've already hit on it, with babies, that, that's a significant disruption and uh, disconnection in that yeah. uh, that communication. And so you get babies adjusted, and my goodness, I mean, colicky babies, babies that are constipated, babies um, that are not sleeping at night, maybe babies that have a hard time latching on one side versus the other. It just completely changes their world. And, and you you said something early on, which is the healing that the chiropractic profession does. We actually, all we do is allow the body to heal itself. I mean, yeah. really, our job is simply to remove the interference between the brain and the body in order to allow the body to do what it does naturally, which is function and heal. Wow. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I'm a, I'm a very concrete person, you know, I, once I understand, so the mechanisms of action of something, Mm -hmm. it empowers me to want to learn more and to give something a try, you know, and when I began to hear from other chiropractors over the past couple of years that I've gotten to know really the science and the, and the mechanics behind what that adjustment is and it's just, it kind of lost the like woo-woo effect of chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And the same with acupuncture. When you find out what it's actually tapping into these right, actual right. measurable uh, meridians and, and pathways, it's like, okay, I get it. This is so exciting. And there's, science is getting better and better about measuring how mm-hmm. certain of these, um, what they call alternative, which I actually sh- think should not be. I actually think something you make in a lab that's fake that you take that's artificial, that should be alternative. Right. And anything that actually feeds the human cell and encourages the body to repair itself, that should be mainstream. They've got right. it flipped. Well, and, and that's the thing where I actually, I'm a little bit personally offended when people say alternative medicine because yeah. 
it's not medicine. Medicine is medicine. The alternative to medicine is not medicine. So it's not alternative okay. to medicine. It's not medicine. It's it's like you said, it's something that allows your body to be healthy. It has nothing to do with medicine. And yeah. and, and that's and, and but that's a, you know, that's again a, a common thing that people don't understand up until this last year because mm -hmm. when they've been told safe and effective when they look around and the scientific measures that have been used are not safe and are not yeah. effective. No. People no. start to question those those little those little nuances that they've been told for years. Well, um, Dr. Robert Malone has a great Substack. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Substack. It's it's a great platform now that's mm. totally uncensored. And some of the most brilliant scientists and doctors, um, professors have Substack uh, channel or whatever you would call it, pages now. Mm. And Dr. Robert Malone, who is the inventor of mRNA vaccine technology, and who's been very outspoken about his concerns about the dangers of the vaccines um, and the corporate capture of the FDA and science in general. He, um, he recently uh, posted a, a really great blog about this particular um, topic. So I encourage people to go find, I'll have to go, um, to go pull that up. Um, but, I tend to squirrel. I told you that. I warned. I warned Dr. Devin that I squirrel. He said he. What did you say that you ramble? Get a little bit rambly off and on. You rambly. I squirrel. So I'm going to pull myself back. <laughs> um, so, so yes. Yeah, so it's not just for chiropractic care. It's not just for back pain. It's for. It can um, address any health issue by just helping make sure your energy flow is freed up so that your body can heal and do what it wants to do. Yeah. And I think, and I think on a little bit of a deeper letter level, if you want to get a little more sciencey, you can talk about just the autonomic nervous system, which really I think everyone can relate with as far as the last two years is concerned, because if you understand the basic automatic processes with that, with that happen within that nervous system, you can understand that you have um, main two main kind of pathways. You have the fight or flight mechanism, which most people are aware of that stress response. And then you have the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest, digest, develop, and heal. And if you understand that when you are in that fight or flight mode and that stress state, your body is not healing. It's not rejuvenating. It's not regenerating. It's not developing. And mm -hmm. when you're in the parasympathetic nervous system state, then you are resting, digesting, developing, but you're not doing a whole lot. So it's yeah. important to kind of have that balance. Yeah. And so for really what we've seen and measured over the last two years is is a, is a is a predictable uh, expense to human health because there's three things that get us stuck in this fight or flight mechanism or that sympathetic nervous system and it is cognitive stress um, traumatic stress uh, and then biochemical stress so for me and here in washington state is especially with how stringent the mandates were and how strict they were and how aggressive the promotion of them were in the beginning i i talked to hospital administrators and i said you know listen this is this approach, we know that stress, trauma, inactivity being the biggest one. Remember before this pandemic, all they talked about in healthcare was sittings and new smoking, right? Mm -hmm. So the result to a, a highly contagious virus is to make everyone sit. Um, and and then, and then- They were arresting people on beaches. Yeah, on beaches. You go That's on a beach awesome. all by yourself. You're in a canoe, you know, a hundred feet out from shore. Yeah. And they were arresting people for violating the lockdown. It- absolute absurdity was going on in many areas <laughs> just yeah 
And, yeah. and what did they call it? They, they called it stay home, stay healthy, even though the three things they were asking to do were equivocating to a sympathetic nervous system stance, which then equivocates mm-hmm. to less healthy state of yourself and in yeah. the general and the rapid decline of health overall yeah. across yeah. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, you know, when we were just before the show started, you and I were talking and I mentioned the great Barrington um, declaration, which you hadn't heard of. And I think it's just amazing. There is so much good stuff out there that has been put out there over the past two years. You run across somebody like, I would have thought you would have heard of this and yet you hadn't, but you know so much else. It's just amazing. So it now has 928,000 signatures. Wow all over the world, um, the great Barrington Declaration. And it says here, an infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists have grave concerns over the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection. So you might wanna go explore that and see you know, what they were talking about. Um, it, it's really just amazing. They, re- they knew, they predicted because of the science that we we have known forever about, um, not forever, but for a very long time, like you were saying about stress, how it impairs your immune system. Um, but there was no heed paid to all of that. And in fact, as I mentioned, that the former National Institute of Health Director, Francis Collins is his name, um, that man... He did, you know, everything that you, that I totally disrespected in so many ways. Now, I'm a spiritual person. And I believe that your spirituality does feed into and should be intimately tied with your choices in life. You don't separate body and soul, right? But also in a nation of of many religions where all religion and spirituality respected it's not cool to use your religion to try to push your political agenda i would you agree with that i would would agree with that yes he belongs to some organization that is is um very christian and i i totally support you know christianity um but he was putting out blog posts saying jesus wants you to wear a mask Jesus wants you to get the mRNA vaccine. I don't know why, you know, I mean, the skies didn't open and and some heavenly voice stepped down and say, what's that you say? (laughs) Don't put words in my mouth. (laughs) You know, it just, it seems so wrong. But anyway, um, there was a FOIA, you know, uh, Freedom of Information Act request to get some information from our government. And it turned up some emails where Francis Collins, once he found out, as soon as that Great Barrington Declaration came out, that was encouraging policies that differed from the lockdown mascot, stay home, be afraid. Um, and he, it was basically a hit piece saying, go out there, um, tear apart the reputations of these individuals, make it stop. We can't have this alternate view out there. And and you will see out in the media, there was this, I mean, because billions of dollars are pushing into marketing the message coming from NIH and CDC. It was a big takedown. But now the science is finally catching up and some independent scientists are finally getting their work out there. And it turns out that they were right. It, everything they said in the great Barrington Declaration was absolutely spot on. 
children losing IQ points, um, all the developmental issues that are happening, um, the depression, the anxiety, all of the health um, things that you have been witnessing and now doing the survey. Tell individuals about the survey. Well, it's so we in our clinic, we we noticed the same thing that the, the Behringer study said, and and maybe that's why it, we I didn't come across it because ultimately we were looking for new data to kind of explain why that would be the case. So we did a lot of studies on advanced neurology and understanding the stress response within people's bodies. And, and in our clinic, we were doing pulse oximetry on patients once masking became a thing so we could track people's oxygen levels. And of course, measuring um, COVID patients after they got off quarantine and measuring their oxygen levels and, and getting them back to healthier places. And so we, we noticed all the stuff was happening with our patients that had been healthy wellness patients for years and their health just rapidly declined. And it, we were seeing the same thing that was in that study. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, looking back on it, it's, you know, what do we, what do they use for the guiding principle? We just don't know enough, right? Yeah. Well, we're going to keep doing this because we just don't know enough. And in our clinic, we said, you know, what we do know still is true. And what we know is psychological stress, inactivity, and toxicity is also all, all leads to a, a subluxated state or a sympathetic nervous system state which mm -hmm. your body can't heal. And, and more importantly, and this is the thing that I think when we're talking about the study, we're looking at long-term is that your brain isn't developing. When you're in a stressed state, you're not developing. That maybe doesn't, not a big deal for adults that are over 26, but you look at children under the age mm -hmm. of 26, adult, young adults, their brains are still developing. And we know that with chronic stress and with increased cortisol levels, the brains are not developing. So all these mm -hmm. children that have been chronically stressed, have been inactive, toxic, regurgitating their air all day, um, and now getting multiple injections of chemicals, um, their brains are not developing with the potential that they had before, mm -hmm. unless they are actively being managed by a chiropractor. And the last time I checked, the stats are 13% of the population sees a chiropractor regularly. So what we wanted to see is across the nation is if people are noticing these same, same trends within their health. So we did a, a survey that simply asked a couple questions asked, do you have a negative health consequence with wearing a facial covering? Do you have a negative health consequence because of stress? Do you have a negative health consequence from getting COVID? Um, do you have a negative health consequence from having a vaccine? And we've, we've surveyed over a thousand people now, and it is staggering. We asked the negative health consequence questions were COVID questions, COVID symptom questions. And 73% of people um, reported having COVID symptoms while wearing a mask. 73% yeah. of people had COVID symptoms strictly related to the stress of the pandemic. So uh, out, you, of those, out of those, well, you bring, sorry to interrupt, but you bring up a really good point sort of sideways here is there's a difference between an infection with a SARS-CoV-2 virus and COVID-19. COVID-19 is a set of symptoms, right? That they are, they say is caused by a virus, but what, but what we're finding or what you're finding is that those same symptoms that could be defined as COVID-19 symptoms or disease also can be caused by stress, can be caused by inhibiting your breathing, right? So I don't know if we have to give it a different name, if it has a different cause. You see what I'm saying? I mean, if, if, I don't know if this has ever happened, but maybe maybe if we compare it to like cancer, cancer has many causes, but we still call it cancer. So, you know, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. 
hundred percent. And that's the thing. And that's really where we need to start having a realistic conversation. And so what do we do? Everything we've done from masking to vaccines, to social distancing, to people losing their businesses, losing their jobs. We did it so people wouldn't have contracted COVID um, to prevent a potential negative health consequence from getting COVID. And, and really what we need to have is an intelligent conversation saying that these mandates are having a negative health consequence. So it doesn't make sense if you're now putting a negative health consequence on one population in order to then stop a negative health consequence from another population, because both people have rights and both people have the choice of how to take care of their health. And it doesn't make sense to take away one person's right to protect another person from the same thing that you're reflecting to the first. No. And when we get on the subject of children, it is, that's where really a lot of people are drawing the line. It's like they were willing to make a personal, even a personal health sacrifice as an adult, but to ask them to sacrifice their children, to risk their children's health, we should never, ever, ever, ever use children as human shields. And right now we've got children being targeted as human shields in two areas. Well, one is from the virus itself. They're being told you have to mask because your teacher's grandmother might somehow catch it from you, you know, five people removed, even though the, the, the mask would do nothing to protect anybody. Um, and then you must get this injection, you know, so that you don't spread to other people, even though the product can't do that either. I mean, the, the nonsensical thing that, I mean, it's not based on common sense anyway, but they are being told that you need to be a human shield to protect other people which is highly immoral, unethical, and our civilization cannot go there. But the other place underneath that, that our children are being targeted as human shields is with the pharmaceutical industry. Because right now, these COVID shots are all under the umbrella protection of the PREP Act, Act, the Emergency Preparedness Act. They are completely liability-free For those who make them and those who deliver them and those who set policies for them, nobody's to blame um, if anybody um, is harmed by them. But this can't go on forever. And if the the drug industry wants these vaccines to continue, once the emergency is gone, they're going to need a liability shield. And where's that? That's the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. So they need the CDC to recommend these shots to children of all ages to get it on the CDC schedule so that it can then qualify underneath the shield. So children are literally being used as human financial shields for the pharmaceutical industry. And that's sickening. And we can't let it happen. Well, and that's the thing. And that's where it has to come back to a realistic conversation because really what it comes down to is there's the extreme sort of kids that are dying from reactions of vaccines. And, and then there's the, the, kids that have no reaction to the vaccine at all. And so then it seems like it's turned into a fight of, well, this person died. Well, this person didn't die. So maybe it's not that bad, but here's the thing, not that bad doesn't mean good. And so we need to start quantifying how bad is not that bad. So let's say, let's say if you, if you now have taken a young body and you've had them chronically stressed for the last two years, they are now have a very low vagal tone, meaning their their sympathetic nervous system is on overdrive, which is why the Department of Health has sent me letters saying that we should be pre-screening all our teenagers for suicidal tendencies, um, because that is the world that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. And we know this. This is science. This isn't this isn't theory. This is what we know. We know after two years of chronic stress, that's where kids are nervous systems at. And then we talk about now injecting them with chemicals that then. M- 
add to that load of stress on their body. And so let's say we inhibit their development by 2%. What's 2% over the next lifetime of, of all their years? It's significant. So we're not, even, significant. we're not even talking about the, the life or death situation. We're talking about we are disabling these children for the rest of their lives. But it may be a subtle disable where they've now struggled and mm-hmm. they didn't have a choice in the matter because their parents were afraid and they made choices because they were afraid right. because because they've also been chronically stressed and they can't think straight because it's been a lot and it's been conflicting data. And that's again, what our survey on don'tknowenough.com gives people an opportunity to report the Mm -hmm. things they struggle with so we can get data because really here in Washington state, uh, we have one simple mission and that mission is to get enough data to the legislators so we can then have them know that they have the data because I don't know how much control we have in the outcome, but we have control on pointing out what's right. And mm-hmm. in the years coming, when there is these these negative health consequences, these poor kids are suffering, there needs to be accountability. And if yes. we don't have the data, then we can't hold people accountable for the decisions that they're making right now. Exactly. And I'm so grateful to you that you've taken on this particular um topic and and I love how you're going at it. So if you want to take part in Dr. Devin's study, go to uh, don'tknowenough.com. You don't need a, um, you know, I guess you can't put it in an address, the uh, apostrophe there, but it's don'tknowenough.com. And you can fill out the survey. At the end, it does ask for your name and email address. But Dr. Devin, you have said that if you don't want to give that, you can just put anonymous and anonymous.com or something like that. 100%. And if you would okay. like us to follow up with next steps or legislators you can contact or Department of Health officials you can contact, um, then do put your email. But all this is used for information gathering and we protect everyone's data. So if you feel uncomfortable with the email, yes, please do anonymous yeah. at anonymous.com. If you'd like to continue to assist us in, in making change, then do your regular yeah. email. But either way, the data is, is what's crucial. So then this is not a, a private study to be hidden. Put it on your Facebook. We get as many people to report as possible because the voice of telling us that we should mask up, we should vax up, it is safe and effective, which the science does not indicate to be a true statement. Yeah. That voice is loud and we're going to need a yeah. lot more voices reporting in order to combat it. Yeah. Safe and effective has been a marketing slogan for years. And that was like the the Robert Malone Substack article that I kind of alluded to. He go he looks at the um, smallpox vaccine, which the public health agencies always touted as safe and effective, but described, you know, and they never we no longer give that vaccine, which has changed over the years because it's too dangerous the benefits do not outweigh the risk, even in their terms. And yet they still call it a safe and effective vaccine. It's a marketing slogan. And people are beginning to understand that this really is not a pro or anti-vaccine conversation that we ever have on Informed Life Radio. I, I, I know it often sounds anti, but it's because we're talking about the negative aspects of a product. This is about consumer protection, absolute consumer protection. And the problem is, the marketing of vaccines as being something holier than thou, if it if it's in the category of vaccine, you can't criticize it, you can't mock it, it has to be perfect, you're crazy if you think otherwise. That's all marketing. And people need to step back and begin looking at them as pharmaceutical products. We are consumers and you, we, you have to know enough to make a smart consumer um, choice here. And it comes down to that. Now we had some... Um, 
you had some really good points you wanted to cover and I want to make sure we get to those. And you had some notes we were going to go through because there was something in particular. There was a term that you had and I believe we first got on the conversation that had to do with masks and it was some, it was an actual physical symptom, medical issue from mask wearing that was acknowledged by the department of health. Correct. Correct. And, and, and this goes back to the, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was kind of um, highly encouraged to report anyone who would be alternative to um, what uh, the, the COVID pandemic lockdown policies were. Yeah. And so our clinic, we, we recognized pretty early on, we never closed down. Um, we understood that our, our role was essential. We had to keep essential workers working and, and minimize hospitalizations, which um, so we, we took this on very, very seriously. And, and, and the thing is, it's when, when you're, when your guidance is telling you, we just don't know enough. I, you know, I feel like for a lot of people, they, they just leaned on, well, I'm going to wait for guidance. But for us, I, I felt like that was a little irresponsible. We had to think and, and actually come up with a real plan because in the beginning, I don't know if you remember, this is so long ago, but in the beginning, it's like, you get this, you are dead. Um, mm -hmm. and that was the, that was what we were being told. And That's what so, told. you know, you're right. And well, yeah. here I go squirreling again is, do you remember at the very beginning of this? They were showing us footage of people dropping down at the streets in China. Yes. Okay. Yes. So whatever became of that and how come no other nation on this earth, including here, did we have people just dropping dead in the streets? So that fear tactic in the beginning, I mean, I want to go back. Exactly. And yeah. I'm sure the smog levels in China didn't contribute too much to their good health. Well, that might've been what was, was going on there. So, but I digress. So yeah. yeah. So what happened then in your situations? So we just had to ask ourselves, okay, so what do you do with a highly aerosolized, highly contagious, unstoppable virus? Well, stopping it didn't seem like a really realistic outcome because if it's unstoppable, I mean, yeah. it seems silly. So what we realized is, okay, what it comes down to, what we have to do is minimize our interaction time. This is clearly aerosolized. So what we decided is we were going to keep our keep our time short with patients. A chiropractic adjustment takes a matter of a couple of minutes. We do advanced neurological scans. Those take a matter of minutes. We have multiple staff, multiple doctors. So we played this game of just minimize interaction time with every patient. And we knew all of us are healthy. All of us get regular chiropractic care. So we, are, we know our body has the full capacity to adapt to whatever it is that challenges it. So we weren't worried about getting COVID ourselves. However, we did not want to spend enough time with somebody to be a risk of transmitting COVID to them. And sure enough, after a period of time, CDC announces that um, close contact is 15 minutes of interaction time within six feet. So we, mm -hmm. um, we realized that our plan had been successful. And, and so and at that point, we we had seen a lot of patients during the pandemic. We felt confident in that. And so then when the masking became a thing, when it became a mandated thing, first it was a social mandate, if you remember that. it was There was a lot of shaming publicly before the government decided they were going to take that role. And and, mm -hmm. and we we noticed this general health decline of, of patients. And, 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 we, and we knew what we had already been doing was keeping us healthy and keeping our patients healthy. So didn't really make sense for us to do something that would negatively impact our health, but not provide a benefit. Mm -hmm. And also just not seeing someone face, someone's face, we know that is a stressful response. There's something called white coat syndrome. When you go into a doctor's office, just being there is enough to cause stress and everyone's already stressed out. And so 
we ended up advocating for our own health. None of us uh, wore facial coverings because ultimately we knew it would be a negative health consequence. And so then the question is, well, how do you quantify this negative health con consequence? Not that bad. Okay, well, how bad is not that bad? And what we realized is a lot of the things that we we're seeing within our patients was because, not because of oxygen deprivation, although that is a factor, was because of this tension pattern that the facial coverings put on the face, the jaw, and the upper cervical spine, which then leads to segmental and somatic dysfunction of the cervical spine, which is a... Say, say that again a little more slowly. <laughs> segmental and somatic dysfunction of the cervical spine. Okay. And also the chronic stimulation of the face causes downregulation within the facial nerve and trigeminal nerve, which then causes downregulation within the vagus nerve. And this is all measurable with surface EMG, with thermography, with heart rate variability, and, and shoot, even with pulse oximetry, you have patients with decreased oxygen levels that when you adjust them, their oxygen levels increase. So, explain, explain the word um, downregulation. So downregulation or inhibition is another term. So for example, um, if you have a thorn stuck in your sign um, and when that thorn per first happens, um, you feel it very intensely. Um, and then if you can't get that thorn out, what your brain does is it downregulates that signal and says, okay, don't really pay attention to that too much. So when you have, and so then that thorn's still there, it's still having a negative health consequence, but you don't necessarily notice it too much. And so when you have something that directly is stimulating the facial, facial nerve, then that is a sensory input to your brain, which is, causes what's called neurological fog. And so this, this, the brain is processing a lot of signals. So this input from the facial covering um, is excessive to the point where the brain says, okay, we don't really need to regulate that signal. So it down regulates it. Problem with that is the vagus nerve is directly innervated with those nerves also. And the vagus nerve is again, what controls that fight or flight response, which is, is so fascinating that you understand that bit of neurology. You understand that the vagus nerve controls digestion, calls, controls blood flow, um, but it also controls two muscles, the muscle that controls drainage of the ear and also one of the muscles in your throat. So when you hear of somebody putting a facial covering on and they say, it feels like someone is choking me around my neck, that what they're feeling is that vagus nerve then being downregulated and wow. that muscle going the contraction. And so, and, and what did people say in the beginning? Oh, people are just faking it. They're just crazy. It's yeah. physiologically measurable. And, and those individuals who have experienced trauma in their lives have been attacked, have been raped, have been, you know, victims in war. And they feel that immediately when they put on the face mask, the choking feeling. Um, and it's not just it's not just the psychology of it. it. You're saying it's the neurology of it as well. It is um, measurable. Measurable. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, what? one of the things that most frustrated me was all of the mask orders um, came with medical exemptions that you weren't supposed to ask. You were just supposed to respect somebody have a medical exemption. Nobody was respected. Somebody could be in a wheelchair and they'd be kicked out of the store for not wearing a mask. I never shopped at stores that would do that because I refused to wear one ever. Um, but um, just the abuse and there no respect. And then the people who suffered the most are the ones who did not look some young person in their 20s, 30s, 40s who look perfectly healthy, but for whom putting on the mask was sheer torture and just they would rather do they'd rather just not participate in society than to have to go through feeling like they're being strangled and suffocated 
And and the most concerning thing, and especially as we talk about COVID recovery, is that I mean, there's been studies that have shown that heart rate variability, which is the is the measurable tool for measuring the vagus nerve activity in the prefrontal cortex, they've been able to directly correlate a decreased survivability within COVID and a decreased heart rate variability. So if we know that putting masks on people is mm-hmm. causing downregulation yeah. of that vagus nerve and decreasing heart rate availability. In essence, you're, you're setting people up for potentially worsened COVID infection yeah. too. Yeah. It, it's really, when you think of all the science behind it, you know, early on, the things that seemed obvious to me are, you know, they're still there. It's like the bacteria on the mask and, you know, all of these other, and the impaired breathing and the, um, women who live in societies where they have to veil every time they go out in public, they have a 30% reduced respiratory capacity. So we already knew that much uh, face covering and a veil is way easier to breathe through than these masks that cup your face. But now you're adding even deeper layers of, of the science of biologically, neurologically, what's happening to the body when you do this. For our government to be ignoring that, and to continue to have them. So, yeah, I mean, we must never, ever, ever do this to society again. You and, know, and it's I 100% agree. And because and really, if you talk about that complication, that segmental somatic dysfunction, the cervical spine, if that goes on for six weeks, it is now permanent for a body. So now we're talking about permanent upper cervical spine damage for all these children that have been forced to wear masks for two years. Wait, wait, wait. So now it's a big deal when a chiropractor says something is permanent because you're, you're, you're very hopeful in healing individuals. So it it really is, the damage is permanent. Fixation, fixation within the spine after six, after six weeks of not being corrected is permanent damage. And does that mean that kid will be fully disabled for the rest of life? No, but it is damage that's been done. And it's again, our job as doctors is to take the term not that bad and then quantify the bad okay. that damage has been done has a neurological complication and you're hundred percent right. It needs to be never done again because ultimately it was a short-term solution that did not work as a long-term solution and yeah. it's caused damage. And we need to be able to measure that damage and then ultimately protect those people that have been hurt and then help them recover. Wow. I feel like you could do a whole seminar on this and have a book and ultimately a documentary film, um, you know, that goes viral. I just feel like this is such important information um, that needs to get out there because they started all this. The masks were really the, the big part of them really ramping up control over society. I felt like they were being used as placeholders because when they said you can't get on a plane, train, a bus, you can't go there, you can't do this without it. It was a placeholder for for the vaccines because once they had in place that you wear this oh no big deal just cover your face that people you know were compliant with then the whole system was in place let's just let's just place that with your vaccine card now you know um so um my camera's messing up here yeah never again and never again happens because we're empowered we're empowered with knowledge so that um, we don't ever let them take advantage again. Are those your little ones in the background? I'm hearing some. No, we have a pediatric <laughs> clinic, so we have a lot of a lot of kiddos okay. we take care of. So they're all okay. getting adjusted right now. Oh. <laughs> Sorry well, about that. It disrupting. sounds like they're having fun. It sounds they like they're are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so 
this is so important to know. And then, and then what? You had some bullet points. I have hope you have them in front of you. I want to make sure we get through some of your key points that you were going to bring us through. And I'm I'm searching. I'm not finding mine. I know it's here somewhere. Oh, listen. <laughs> People are like, what? What are they doing? Um, so I, I find it fascinating that you you found a technique that not only minimized um, the potential for anybody in your clinic to catch COVID at your clinic because yeah. of your, your rapid move through different people, limiting the amount of time, obviously only um, healthy employees were there. Um, you were like this model person, not only for doing the right thing, but you also were meeting DOH and you know requirements and any of the state orders because of how you chose to do things and you were honored for that right you were chosen well it, I, it was i think it, it was an honor but it, it was uh i was chosen but the reason i was chosen is because um there's a lot of people that um reported this to the department of health reported this to the state wow. of washington for not wearing facial coverings and and so ultimately when that happens the department of health's job is to do an investigation to make sure we aren't um in jeopardizing the lives of the people that we serve and, and, and they take that responsibility very seriously, especially during yeah. the pandemic. And so, and, and ultimately what it came down to is we have, we, I believe that the constitution was written in order to best serve the United States citizens. So I believe that it was wise. And when we looked at how we were going to do our policy, we looked at the American disability act and how, you know, really a government can't just force you to do something that's negatively going to impact your life. Um, and, and and ultimately, we we approached this entire situation that way. We said, you know what, we are going to protect our own health by not doing something that would negatively impact us. But we're also going to do things in our clinic in order to, to make sure that there is minimal risk of transmission of COVID within our clinic. So we um, were investigated uh, after very many, many uh, letters of um, making us aware that how much the fines were going to be if we were not fully compliant. And, and so after Department of Health investigation, um, ultimately I have a medical exemption for upper cervical segmental somatic dysfunction that would be worsened for wearing a facial covering. And, and so does my staff and it's diagnosed, it's measured, it's, it's observable. And the Department of Health said, okay, well, let's go ahead and check with labor and industry, make sure the standard's okay with minimizing contact time. Because again, the CDC says, if you don't spend 15 minutes with somebody, there's no risk to transmission of COVID. And so we took that very seriously. We measure everything. We track everything. And so we passed both inspections and we were congratulated on passing. And then I was asked if I would consider to join the Department of Health, which I then uh, applied for the Department of Health uh, position that was available within the chiropractic branch and was was interviewed and then selected for appointment. And I, I don't know if the governor is going to uh, appoint me. Um, because it's, it's a weird world we live in. It's a weird world where the conversation of health has turned into the conversation of politics and, yeah. and how many people said, said you don't wear a facial covering because you believe X, Y, Z. And the reason why I don't wear a facial covering is because I know it has negative health consequence. And, and ultimately I know that my responsibility for my health is my own and my responsibility yeah. to my patients is, yeah. is very serious also. So, I, I, yeah, I created a kind of a, a little bit of a snarky social media graphic, um, and it just says, um, my freedom doesn't end where your product failure begins. 
Yes. Right. So, and then I, and another one that says, if you've had two of these and it's a picture of the needle and you're, and you're wearing one of these and a picture of an N95 and you're still afraid, then maybe you should get one of these. And it points to a full hazmat suit. Hmm. And again, my medical freedom does not end where your product hmm. failure begins. So you pick something that you feel is protective yes. of you. Yes. And, but that's, that's, I'm not normally that mean or snarky, you know, um, I was, just, you know, really trying to make a point um, because I do know that really good people have been totally misled and caught up in the fear and caught up in what they are being told. And I, you know, um, I do believe we need to move ahead with with grace and forgiveness, forgiveness and and, you know, open arms so that as people learn um, in the journey. But sometimes humor and snarkiness um, does make a point where earnestness does it. <laughs> you know? it's, it's hard. It's hard not to hold back to sometimes. And yeah. And- and we did talk about this the other day about the understanding, understanding the neurology of stress also, because, you know, again, our incredible brain that is unique that God created us with um, yeah. that prefrontal cortex, which is the rational deductive problem solving part of our brain becomes inhibited with chronic stress. And so these, yeah. you know, poor people that have, have continued to follow advice that has has yeah. misled them and led them to a more stress states. They, they can't, I mean, we, you know, I don't mean to say that yeah. it's not an intelligence thing. They literally have become chronically cortically inhibited where it's, it, it's just overwhelmed. And we've all been there. We've all been, if you've ever been so upset or so stressed where it's like, you can't rationally think through a situation or you maybe said something that you didn't, you didn't intend to say. That's an example of prefrontal cortex inhibition. And that's just what we're looking at as a society. You look around, uh-huh. violence rates are up. Um, spousal rape is up, spousal mm-hmm. abuse is up, um, children's suicide is up, and it's cortical prefrontal cortex inhibition from chronic stress, inactivity, and toxicity. So I, 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 I try to hold off on the snarky things too. Sometimes I slip out because, um, yeah. because it's, it's well, we need a- our release as well. But yeah, I try not to go to the ugly side, just kind of the you know, uh, wake up side. But and people always call me a Pollyanna, but I really do. I really do believe. <laughs> The, that people for them, I think that there's some real evil driving this. I think that there are people who know they're doing harm that are controlling most of what's happening. But I also believe that most of the people caught up in the system that's driving it, um, they're, they're victims as well. They, you know, and they're on, many of them are on a certain place of this journey of understanding what they're doing is wrong. You know, some are caught up in it completely and you'll never convince them otherwise, but others are beginning to learn. And then they feel because maybe their lifestyle situation, how do you get out of it? Right. It's you're you almost know? backed into a corner. You've already, you've already accepted a belief system. And, and I, and I, gosh, I have school board members that are patients of mine. Again, mm-hmm. school board members that have been backed in this corner of keep masks on kids, talk about vaccines, and they come to a chiropractor that doesn't wear a mask, you know, yeah. and it, but the thing is, again, it's, they're backed into a corner now Every, and, yeah. and they've bought into this belief system. And, and now it's, it, it feels like too late, but it's not too late. And that's again, back to the survey that we're doing. It's, we just need to have a simple conversation of what's the negative consequence. Mm-hmm. And now let's stop doing those things. And let's all agree yeah. that we didn't know enough. Now we do know enough. And it seems like we need some healing seminars as people begin to realize if they were caught up in this and they need help, um, you can't, I can't, 
I don't know that you could just go like cold turkey, just stop one day and switch, that you might need some real guidance and help and support through right. this. It's a pretty radical transition. Um, those of us, you know, if, a lot of chiropractors, a lot of people in the medical freedom informed consent movement, I think we were probably less traumatized because we already knew the corruption existed. We knew a lot of this and we were critical and um, analyzing things from the get-go. It wasn't an, a, a complete about face of our belief system. It just, in fact, for many of us, we're finding rays of hope because those things that we couldn't get anybody to listen to us about this, the corruption and um, people are exponential growth of people right. understanding that the change needs to happen. This health revolution, yes. peaceful. I keep saying the word peaceful because the powers that be are trying to make us look not peaceful, but we are some of the most loving, peaceful, good people. That <laughs> Nothing is more bonding than coming together. I was um, January 23rd up in Washington, DC. It was so powerful to be there for the defeat the mandates. March. And there's going to be one in California in April, April 11th, I believe is going to be another massive uh, March. And then for people in Washington state, I don't know if you know about this, um, Dr. Devin, but every Saturday down in Seattle, um, there's a uh, March for freedom that's been going on for two years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. They're right at the heart of it. They, they often oh. march from the Gates foundation up past Google, you know, they go past all the... that, that takes some, that takes some grit for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Back when I was living there, I, I joined uh, Victoria Palmer's, the woman's name who leads it. She's amazing. Um, and her, her great group and they do really good work. So there's human spirit alive and well fighting for freedom. Yeah. So how are we doing on time? We've got about uh, five more minutes here. So what key points um, do you want to make sure listeners hear about today? Simple thing we've hit on a couple times already that we need to stop doing the same stuff that's giving us the same exact result. And I know in Washington state, we're the last state to kind of drop the indoor mask mandates, except for healthcare. Um, and, and ultimately I do believe that that is a good sign that the mask will come back again. And, but what ends up happening is that people, as soon as the mandate drops, everyone thinks this is going to be great. But the simple truth is it, it is still far from over. Um, COVID is still rapidly mutating, highly contagious, aerosolized, um, non-stoppable virus. And there is still a lot of stress in the world. So, Ultimately, there's still a lot of work to be done to then quantify what the negative health consequences has been, and more importantly, more specifically, uh, on our children and, and their development. And that needs to be measured, needs to be quantified, and needs to be documented, and ultimately, it needs to be put in place so then there can be accountability. Because what's what it seems like the conversation is leaning towards is kids need mental health now. Um, yeah. Kids need neurological support and they need counseling. They don't need mental health because mental health is treated by medicine. I mean, we already have an opioid epidemic because chronic pain was the focus of recovery. And mental health for kids needs to be on actual health and mm -hmm. helping them neurologically heal from the damage that has been objectively done over the last two years. So my point to, to, to emphasize for anyone that will be listening is that our bodies have the ability to be healthy if you have a fully functioning nervous system. And Things that take away from that, cognitive stress, 
physical trauma uh, and biochemical stress, um, choose them wisely. And that's not to say you need to live a perfect life, but just know that what's bad is bad and not that bad is still not good. And again, furthermore, to help us with our um, encouraging the state of Washington to make better decisions is fill out the survey at don'tknow.com and then give us data for how this pandemic has affected you so we can hold people accountable and then make better policy moving forward. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, there is a bill that that didn't make it through the legislative session, never made it out of committee, and maybe it can um, Washington come back again and it it revamps the whole uh, approach to epidemics and pandemics, uh, trying to address the fact that healthcare providers such as yourself were left left out of the solution. Um, and so, you know, we need to be prepared next time with real solutions of health. And, and not these negative things that uh, did far more harm than good. So, um, yeah, so that's we don't know enough.com. Um, I had one more thought and it just completely went um, out of my head. But yeah, so along with analyzing what we shouldn't do, really embracing what we should do. Because knowledge is power. We Yeah, there's going to be more viruses. There's always going to be more viruses. But we need not fear them. We need to just embrace the knowledge, find out where real health comes from, find a knowledgeable practitioner like Dr. Devin, you know, or somebody that you trust so that you can go through life, you and your family with a trusted partner who understands where real health comes from. That's so important. Well, Dr. Devin, thank you for coming on the show today. Um, I hope you'll join us again. Good luck with your survey. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll do as much as we can to promote it. Um, you have a great weekend. And everyone, you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be with Dr. Zaina Carver. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. 
From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, the High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today we need a revolution there's only one solution i need somebody to show me somebody to show me love we need a revolution hello and welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 am kknw i'm your host bernadette pager streaming to you from the great state of tennessee um the show itself is coming live from the great state of washington and broadcast also on chd tv and all over the place it's so exciting to think of all the places that this good information can be reached um we had a great first hour talking with Dr. Devin Brassard in Washington State, a chiropractor. And I was thinking, um, you know, over the break, it, it's, a, it's a version of a thought that I've, I've had many times before about health and healing. I'm looking at my window at these beautiful woods that are beginning to bud and, you know, spring's on its way here. When something goes wrong out in the woods, we look at it and we think, huh, there's, there's something, there's a tree that's not healthy. It's not doing well. Our first thought is that, gosh, it, I need to go to a laboratory and make some sort of pharmaceutical product or, you know, and, and inject it with something. No, we go out there and look around and think, what's wrong with the soil here? What happened? What's nearby that might be coming down on it? Is there an animal that, or an insect that has burrowed into it? We look at it, or does it need more nutrients in, in, you know, at its roots to feed it? We look at it at its actual basic components of what it is. I'm sorry, my camera's messing up here. Um, and, and then we figure out how to heal it. But for some, for the past few decades, more and more, there's been this disconnect between um, healing, I'm going to turn my camera off. Sorry, guys, my camera's messing up. Um, between health and healing and looking out to the world. And that's one of the things I love about chiropractic care is it acknowledges that innate ability, ability to heal, that we're part of this natural world. We are mammals on this earth. We are creatures literally made out of the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we consume. That's what makes our cells. Um, 
So I guess that's enough of me rambling here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring on our next guest. She's been on once or twice before. I lose count now. Dr. Zaina Carver, PhD. Hi there. Um, I'm, I'm all like tingly today with my, I apologize for my visuals are going all wrong. Today. Great. It looks like you're in the matrix. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for coming back on the show today. Um, yeah, just health and healing, finding solutions. Dr. Broussard was doing such a great job, and he's he's doing this survey to gather more data so we understand what we did wrong. And I say we in the royal sense of our public health agencies. And I just I'm disappearing more and more. <laughs> it's kind of breaking me out here. Um, what we did wrong so that we don't repeat it and the things that we know are right so we can do those and you have been doing the same thing that i'm so grateful for you've been taking a very hard look at the washington state board of health and what they're doing because in december they decided that they wanted to take a close look at whether or not they would put the covid shots on the school daycare and school schedule, which to me was appalling because I felt like we already know so much to concern us and there's no long-term studies. So why would they even consider it rather than just leaving this completely as a parental decision without the coercion of, of a mandate? I don't know. But you've been looking um, very hard at the information that was presented to the technical advisory group they assembled and then you attended the last board of health meeting. So um, where would you like to go? I can pull up your fact or fiction post that you wrote recently, or um, where would you like to begin today? Sure, let's go ahead and start with that. And I have to say that with the last meeting, mm -hmm. I got to the point where they gave us the COVID health update, and then I noticed what they were saying, and I remembered what Dr. Healy had said about their breakthrough report, and that's when I started writing. So I have to confess that I missed the end of the meeting I probably heard up to the part where they started to talk about the quarantine camps and yeah. denying um, Informed Choice Washington's declaration or um, amendment for them to consider not adding vaccines that are not that have not completely undergone phase three clinical yeah. trials or still under emergency use. And they came up with very thin excuses for that. That was disappointing too. So I stopped yeah. listening. I didn't catch probably the last two hours and then okay. I've taken a break from it. So all I can comment on is stuff that's happened up until then. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and just a little caveat here, if that's the correct word, it, it was a couple of months ago or that we petitioned the Washington state board of health to write a new rule for themselves saying they could not require for school any emergency use authorized product or any product that had not completed phase three clinical trials. Seems pretty basic. If you don't have long-term studies, if all the studies even at the clinical stage three have, are not in, you can't require this product. And they denied us. They said they didn't want to tie the hands of the future board. Well, no future board should ever have the power to mandate something. It doesn't mean that parents can't choose it. But, you know, nobody should ever be able to force an experimental product on you. That should always be um, your choice. But then a couple weeks ago, somebody else, I'm not sure who it was, um, filed a very similar petition, said, let's try this again. <laughs> 
to see. Um, but I guess they shot that one down too. I was I was at Nashville. Um, there, we have some bills that are going through that I was uh, working on there, so I didn't get to hear the meeting. I take it they shot that one down too. <laughs> They did. And thank you for clarifying. I was not aware that there were two different petitions. I didn't know if something had changed or why they were bringing it up again. But I do think that their excuse was flimsy, that they don't want to tie the hands of the future board. It was a very reasonable request. It was very reasonable. Yeah. It's just absurd that they even, it's absurd to me that they feel like they have the, actually have that power right now because they don't. Emergency use authorization language says that individuals have to be told they have they can opt out of this, not opt out with an exemption, not opt out with any qualifications. It's just you have the right to opt out to an emergency authorized product, right? Um, and they were putting qualifies, qualifies on there that legally I don't believe you, you can do. Somebody needs to probably take this to court. And we, I'm sure that we will be part of any action if they do put it on the schedule. And once it becomes licensed, um, that's a whole other ball game. It's still extremely dangerous. And, you know, and then that's bad on the FDA for um, the corruption that would allow such a dangerous product to be fully licensed anyway. But yeah, so we have pulled up here your, um, your great post. So I encourage people to kind of subscribe to you. Um, she is at, uh, it's Zaina's newsletter at Substack. And I love Substack. There are some great authors there. And you are one of my favorite authors there. And um, so for our radio audience, if you want to go ahead and kind of um, explain when there's a graphic, what it okay. is that we're seeing. And thank you, Bernadette. I have a ton of favorite authors. I spend quite a bit of time reading Substack. There's good stuff out there. And it's not censored as some other places are. The slide that I'm looking at right now says COVID-19 hospitalization rates for unvaccinated people were five times higher for those 12 to 34, six times higher for those 35 to 64, and seven times higher for those 65 and up. And this contradicts so much research coming from so many different countries. Um, over in Germany and Scotland, they're seeing that nine out of 10 hospital admissions are in the vaccinated and fully boosted. And that's also true in Australia. So on first glance, it doesn't look right. And I'm wondering what's going on here. And then I remembered a prior show that you had done with Dr. Healy, and he had mentioned their breakthrough report and how they didn't have complete data as far as hospitalizations. And this is something I actually did a FOIA public records request to our state health department to ask what proportion of patients coming in for COVID into the hospital are vaccinated and unvaccinated? And after round and round of emails, I finally got a spreadsheet, but I never got the information that I was actually requesting. They gave me just circular information, define this, define that. We don't have that. We don't record that all in one database. My thought on that was, well, how does the state um, board of health have tables like I just read to you where they can say that your risk is five times higher. Where are they getting their information from if it's not being properly tracked? And the breakthrough report that Dr. Healy mentioned provided the answer. And the answer to that is that they don't have data for 80% of their hospitalizations. So let's see how many people, 386,299 COVID-19 hospitalization breakthrough cases out of those they only 20% are reported. So the answer, yes, there's 2% um, of cases and no, unvaccinated, 18%.
But if you consider that's only 20% of their data and we have no clue about the other 80% and the fact that this table was presented as complete fact to the public, in my opinion, this is misrepresenting the data. It should have been acknowledged that this is based on incomplete data because when you don't have 80% of the people admitted for COVID, you don't have their vaccination status, you can't possibly say that your risk is five times higher, six times or seven times higher. And, and look at the, the, yeah, and then look at the, the spread. Uh, January 17th through February 19th, or, or uh, January 17th, 2021 to February 19th, 2022. So when they give these numbers that they're giving, the um, they're including a time when almost nobody was vaccinated. So everybody in the hospital was non-vaccinated because the vaccine wasn't available to most people. So that isn't looking that's not giving giving a real good clear picture of vaccinated versus unvaccinated if you include everybody prior to the vaccine even being given um so there's just so many ways that that data um is misrepresented to that's a great point yeah mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So shall I scroll down more on this? Is there another image for us to, so your conclusion? I really kept it short and brief. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to kind of the larger picture is that I had intended to look more closely at the numbers, um, looking at death, looking at myocarditis and looking mm -hmm. at multi-system inflammatory syndrome, because they are saying that those complications are more common with the virus and less with the vaccine, so-called vaccine. It's, it's an injection, experimental injection. But I believe, and there's lots of data out there now that it's more common with these experimental biological products. And I have found tons and tons of information on death. There's much more information coming out on myocarditis. The one that I haven't had time to do um, complete research on is multi-system inflammatory syndrome. So that's something mm -hmm. that I will come back to. Oh, that's excellent. I look forward to getting that information because parents really need to know that. And, you know, it just seems to me that would it be sort of common sense if people would just say, step back. And when there's this unknown about which is the greater risk for in, any individual, we have to stop to think. With the shot, we know that there's a particular risk, let's say, for the myocarditis. And we also know the shot wanes. It only is giving. So you're risking myocarditis for a eight-week window of protection. And then if you have to get a booster, and then your risk of myocarditis, myocarditis goes up, which each shot. So you're increasing your risk of that for another two months, three months. That's it. With, with wild infection, for most people, if your nutrients are good, your vitamin D, A, all the things that we've discussed so many times here, it, you, you get it once, you may have a certain risk, perhaps with that wild spike protein, maybe causing some myocarditis, but then you've got immunity, which potentially looking at SARS-CoV lasts 17 years, 20 years, they're saying a lifetime, um, very broad, durable, long lasting. So the trade-off is you get, much better protection and you only have to do it once um to me that's all you need to know mm -hmm. to really make that risk benefit um decision but there you know 
Yes, I, I agree. And, you know, initially in this pandemic, when we had the alpha variant or wild type, and when you're considering the elderly, well, then the risk versus benefit is different, especially when there was no or wasn't much natu uh, natural immunity. Now we know of these um, cross-reactive antibodies where if someone's had SARS-CoV-1, they might have protection against SARS-CoV-2. But um, at that point in time, when very few people were exposed in the elderly and with the, the wild type, there might have been more benefit than risk. But at this point, when we're dealing with Omicron, when so many people have natural immunity and children are not typically affected by this virus, in fact, in Washington state, the death rate um, from the virus is 0 0.007 something. Yeah. It, it's less I, than zero. It makes absolutely no sense. But I'm, I, I agree with you there, but I'm going to push back a little bit, even for the elderly and those with comorbid conditions, because again, these are people who, if they have an adverse reaction to the shot, they might be at higher risk of adverse reaction because of their comorbidities. Mm -hmm. They are still trading off two months of protection for a risk of an injury. To me, because we know about these very safe and effective treatment protocols, that but ensuring that they have access to those early on, that they are being protected with the proper nutrients prior to exposure, and then begin that early treatment. If we were to do really good studies comparing, you know, uh, preparing an individual and then having early treatment available versus the risk of these shots for just two months of protection, I get back to the same answer, mm -hmm. even for, for those with comorbid, you're, you're at best buying something that goes away and leaves you with that big unknown. So I, you're right. And it became very clear early on that there were effective treatments. And although they've been suppressed, when you calculate that into the equation, it never really made sense. It never should have been forced on anybody. And whenever mm -hmm. there's risk, there has to be a choice. And those treatments were developed March by March and April, they were beginning to be censored immediately. You know, we had the hydroxychloroquine and then moved to the ivermectin. There's budesonide. There's a lot of affordable off the shelf repurposed drugs in combination with nutrients, oxidative therapies, that sort of thing that very early on a year before that shot ever arrived, that should have been utilized, that we begged the Board of Health. That was another thing before you joined us. We did petition the Board of Health to convene a committee of practitioners who had developed protocols so they could meet in a very public way that legislators and the public could observe. Information could be exchanged, um, fear diminished, hope restored. And the board said, hey, this is a great idea. We love this petition, great idea, but it's not in our wheelhouse. We can't do it. It's not in our wheelhouse. Yeah. And it's like, you guys are doing unprecedented things right now. Everything you're doing is unprecedented. Everything the state of Washington Department of Health and Kingsley was doing, sorry, um, <laughs> Governor Inslee was doing is unprecedented. So the, if there was ever a time to take a bold gesture and do something unprecedented, it's now. But they didn't do it. They said the federal government should do it. Yeah, right. They, they're still well, not doing it. <laughs> Yes. And even Dr. Pendergrass at, at the last meeting, I believe, was still saying something like ivermectin has never been shown to be effective in any clinical trial. There's oh, a lot geez. of evidence that shows the contrary. That was a flat out lie. Flat out lie. And oh, and he he threw vitamin C in there too. vitamin C and D. And these have never proven to be safe and effective. 
what? You know, I mean, his, his, his whole mindset that, and I don't, you know, I'm going to back off a little bit because I, I never want to get personal. I don't want to do any personal attacks. And um, he is a public figure, you know, so, um, you know, he kind of, he's in the, he's in a position where we do need to talk critically about what he's putting out there because he has a leadership role, but I'll try to behave and be respectful. <laughs> and it's not personal against him. It, it's what yeah. he's saying. That's not yeah. honest. It's not transparent and it's not helpful. No, it, it absolutely is not. But, you know, because I am such a Pollyanna and I have a hard time believing that people intentionally lie. I just wonder about his mindset. Does he truly believe this? Does he truly believe that our only salvation comes in the needle of some experimental technology? Does he not really believe that the human immune system is beautiful and can overcome if properly supported? Um, I don't know. I have wondered that. And I know that the pharmaceutical schools have invaded medical education for a long time uh -huh. and that things have gradually gotten worse. So I'm wondering due to his age, if, if he's seen this progression or if it's kind of gradually changed and he's been in the system for so long now that he doesn't see what's really going on. I'd like to think that he believes and that he's not doing it because of being compromised or some other reason, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's what I like to believe too. Even though I I have to sort of go metaphorically to do battle, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's it can be very frustrating. So, but I really appreciate you doing a deep dive on there. Those those breakthrough numbers are really astounding, um, Doctor Carver. Before COVID, had you ever heard the term breakthrough, vaccine breakthrough cases? I had never heard of that. And I was working pretty deeply in the world of vaccine safety reform. And, you know, we often wrote articles and did posts about, you know, here's the hard science on these products so you can make an informed decision. I never heard, we heard the term vaccine failure or, yeah. and it was primary and secondary failure. Primary failure is when you get, you get a vaccine but your, your body never mounts uh, an immune response in a protective way. So you never develop immune protection for any length of time. That's primary failure. And, and the, one, the stats that I've sort of memorized are with the, the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella shot, because you know we had a big fight with measles a couple of years ago. And about 10% of the population never develop an immune response to the MMR. They're just 10% uh, failure. And then within 20 years, an, an additional 30% completely lose all um, immune protection they may have gained. So now we're up to um, 30 plus, we're up to 40% of the population 20, 30 years out after they got their childhood vaccines that are fully susceptible now to measles. And then they did studies looking at a third dose, mainly to see if those who gave um, immune globulin, if they could boost their antibody level to get better immune globulin, you know, supply from, from donors who were relying on vaccine protection. And they found that you really can't boost your way out of this. Any, any temporary spike in antibodies went right back down. You know, um, there's a term like called immune exhaustion. I'm not sure if that plays a role, but you really can't boost your way out of this. 
Um, so anyway, that's the term I had always heard is primary and secondary failure. And then I think there's something called a tertiary fail failure. And that's mm -hmm. where the um, targeted antigen uh, mutates enough that the vaccine no longer targets what's circulating. Well, I have heard of vaccine failure. I have not heard of vaccine breakthrough before this, and I think this is just more examples um, of them changing the language to make something sound benign when it's really not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, healthcare is healthcare. It's sick care. If we call things, the vaccine is not a vaccine. It's it's an experimental biological product. If we called it that, then it would give people a better idea of what it actually is or does. Yeah, language is really interesting and humans have this, sometimes I envy the animal kingdom where life is a little bit more simple, you know? I mean, I just can't imagine the squirrels like chattering in some, such a way to each other that they would deceive them into doing something <laughs> that they wanted them to do. I don't know, maybe they do, maybe squirrels. Yeah, maybe there's good and bad squirrels. <laughs> yeah. One thing you did mention in one of our conversations, um, you mentioned the fact that at one point, it was temporary, the World Health Organization, and I believe also the CDC, changed their definition of, um, what was it, immunity? Um, to only be vaccine-derived, what was Herd the immunity? Herd immunity, that's right, it was herd immunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it can only be, but there was such a backlash um, they've changed it back now to include natural immunity. Yes, great point. It's always included natural immunity and vaccination-based immunity. So the yeah. fact that they could try to change something as basic as the definition of herd immunity shows you that it's nothing for them to change the definition of vaccine or breakthrough infection versus vaccine failure yeah. or anything else really at this point. It wouldn't surprise me. Language everywhere right now is being used in really concerning ways. Well, language is being changed. What you can call people is being changed. You can offend somebody by the simplest thing, just saying, you know, for instance, you know, no, we're not going to go down that weird slope right now, but, you know, you, if you call a pregnant woman, you're supposed to call them a person, pregnant persons, it, it, you know, to assign them to the female gender right now is, is being considered, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it just gets whole, more strange. <laughs> it just, it, it, it really gets, they're just trying to control us in different ways that is, I find very, very concerning, you know, and I, I'm a respectful person and I don't want to um, undermine anybody's journey, but biologically, female mammals are the ones who have the babies. Mm -hmm. It's biology. Yes. <laughs> yes. And when they're not teaching the biology of gender in medical schools and they're treating, you know, transition females as a male or transition male as a female, um, there's a case of, of a patient losing a baby because she had transitioned to male and they weren't thinking about her biology. Um, so Ooh. that can be dangerous. But anyway, wow. I wanted to talk about um, the, the changing in language is one aspect, but the other thing is that there's so much gaslighting going on right now. They're really trying hard to normalize the myocarditis. They're trying to normalize the cardiac deaths. 
So for instance, um, there was a video from Australia where they said that a small percentage of the population has this genetic abnormality where they can die instantly of blood clots or cardiac arrest. Now, really, isn't it odd that it comes out this year that all of a sudden there's a genetic problem that can cause all these conditions that we're seeing spike right after the vaccines came out and especially after they were introduced to children and then certainly after the, the mandates and things where you see more vaccinations happening. The other thing, too, is that some schools or not some schools, but some clinics are posting information about requiring an echocardiogram as part of their sports physical. Orange County has a sign on that and also a clinic from Virginia. And in theirs, they acknowledge that getting a vaccine, the COVID-19 um, injection, can increase the risk of myocarditis and that they will not do a physical unless or without proper lab work and also an echocardiogram. And I, I just, I don't understand how they can normalize healthy young athletes dying on the field, young children having myocarditis, um, blood clots and strokes. This has never been normal. And I don't, I don't know how many different ways they can try and spin it. I've heard them use climate change as an excuse for miscarriage. They've used post-pandemic uh, stress disorder as an excuse for myocarditis, but it just doesn't make any sense. And I think that's where they're trying really hard right now to normalize and confuse the data. And I just, I just don't see it. I, I do not believe yeah. or understand how people can believe that this is normal for young children. It's never been normal. No, it's never been normal. And it is frightening the marketing messaging of normalizing. Now the, the CDC and the um, NIH have a history of normalizing vaccine injury. This is what the movement has been yelling for years, you know, and got, you know, government is really good. Public health is really good about responding to um, to an, a need, not addressing the cause of the need, but responding when there's a flood. They'll rush in. Let's fix right. But before there's a flood, it's really hard to get the government to react when you say, "Hey, there's a potential for a flood here." There's a potential for a flood here. You show them the studies, you do all this, and they do nothing until there's a flood. And then suddenly, oh, we have to react. We, you know what I mean? It's it's that the government is very good that way, um, very reactive. And it's in it. And when you can flame up emotions and and show somebody with um, with dementia, with autism, with um, heart disease, and wheelchairs, you can get a lot of money and raise um, and get people to pass taxes to to help people in these situations. But if you try to do the same thing and say, let's go for the cause, let's stop the cause, that's not as attractive. It's not as inflammatory. It's not as rewarding for the politicians to fund um, the cause of these things. Do you see what I'm saying? And that, and that's exactly what they're doing now. So, so yes, it is being driven by trying to hide, to normalize, because this is what they do. But it also plays out so well because the system is set up to respond that way. Our whole governmental system is set up to try to help the people in need to basically give them a fish instead of give them a fishing pole or um, that's probably not the right um, metaphor. We'll come up with a good metaphor. So they're teaching them to fish. No, you're exactly right. Yeah. It's all about sick care, treat the symptoms, never get to the root cause. Instead of promoting exercise and vitamins and managing your stress, it's 
you know, like you said, wait until you have diabetes and then take insulin. And that's not effective rather we, than change your diet and exercise. Yeah. What we really need. Oh, and this remind I'm scrolling for a second. Remember, I want to go back to what we really need. And now I've already forgotten what that is. Um, oh, public records requests and FOIAs all over the world. Looking at, there's got to be documentation of governments around the world saying, start a campaign about how children can get blood clots to cover this up, right? Mm -hmm. That exists. People know there are real human beings behind these campaigns to normalize it. People know we need whistleblowers. We need FOIAs. We need public records requests. We need to get behind these campaigns and bring that out because we've got to stop it before it becomes so systemic that it becomes something else that people have to unlearn, you know, like autism. They did such a brilliant job with autism. Oh, it's just a different way of being, you know, no, it's iatrogenic injury. It's environmental injury. Um, you know, but now you can't say anything or you're just, um, uh, attacking somebody, right? It's, we've got to stop the normalization of a heart disease in seven-year-olds. Right. Yeah. I mean, they've opened up a whole department for pediatric cardiac disorders. What is going on? It, it's, and you're right. We need whistleblowers. We need people who have ethics, who have a conscience, who are right in the middle of it, seeing what's going on. And I know that there are people coming out, um, you know, and, and just understanding what's going on. But I know that there's also great risk in that too. And I, I hope that we can find those people and, and that other people can learn yeah. from them because that's the only thing that's going to prevent this. I'm, I'm more people are beginning to understand that the greater risk is not speaking out because we, we really have no option, but to stand up now, because if we don't stand up now, it only gets worse. You get deeper and deeper in this hole of, of, uh, I'm not even quite sure, but you know how to word that, but it's much easier to stop things in the beginning than when they're really firmly entrenched. And especially since this is psychological warfare, you're messing with the minds of people, getting them to believe something is true. And that is um, so much harder to undo. Um, but people are going to be mad. They're getting, when they're going to feel betrayed once they, you know, the masses really begin to figure out how they were lied to. Um, and that's happening more and more, right? Because everybody knows somebody that has been injured. Um, by the shots or by the hospital protocol for COVID by remdesivir. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I think at this point there's overwhelming evidence of harm from the injections. And I think that that just keeps increasing. But my thought about that is, is as you've said, they've ingrained these patterns of behavior and it's so embedded that that could be used for something else down the road. It, yeah. Yeah. It's almost a, you know, brainwashing, mind control. I mean, it's, it's gotten to that level where people automatically think whatever's on CNN is gospel. Do mm -hmm. we know, I mean, if they're lying about one thing, do we know that anything they say is honest or truthful? Yeah, I, I, think I don't until know. We can, yeah, just turn off the TV and listen to our friends and watch alternative news. We have to be very cautious. Yeah, and, you know, even with the alternative news, news I've got people... Um, news sources that I do trust. These are individuals that I've gotten to know in person. 
um, and that I've been on this journey with like pre-COVID that I respect. Um, but it, the modern communication, the way information can be so easily changed and manipulated, it's, you know, I wish, you know, sometimes I wish we could just go back to more old. It's, it was much harder to be deceptive with the old fashioned print tools, you know, print books. It's so easy now to change history. It's very I concerning, the push of the button and you can change the outcome to any war that ever happened. And mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that about the books when they changed herd immunity. Well, I have, you know, at least four biology books that say otherwise mm -hmm. definition of a vaccine. I mean, again, if we have the print versions, it can't be changed as easily. And there are tools such as the Wayback machine um, yeah. that can be used to detect when the internet's been changed and, that's helpful, but you're right. That is it helpful. Can and manipulated so easily. But who controls the Wayback Machine? And could somebody tamper with that? See, I mean, anything that's electronic is is potentially able to be fiddled with. And I, I use the Wayback Machine myself. And, and right now it does seem to be reliable. You're able to go back and, and see where they changed the language um, of different pages. If it was saved. It can be uh, really useful to see how how terms changed and and what they're doing, but um, and titles change. I, I always think titles of articles changing is very interesting. You know, have you seen that? I've noticed. Mm -hmm, I've noticed that with politics, where mm -hmm. they'll you know completely blast somebody um, because of their conservative views or whatever, um, and then later their lie is caught and they have to go back and change the title, make it slightly different because it was complete, utter, false, um, just slander. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what we do about that moving forward. How it may be an ongoing battle forever, the control of information and never quite knowing who to trust and what, to, I guess we just all have to stay very vigilant. And that gets us maybe back to the need to be connected in person human, neighbor to neighbor, you know, in-person connection. Mm -hmm. What was it? What was the, the, is it 1984? Which one did they, they burn books and people were memorizing books? 1984. 84. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so to share it, you had, to, it was person to person. It was oral. It was sharing of information um, because nothing else existed and nothing else could be trusted. Okay, this is getting too depressing. We're gonna flip things around. We got like, uh, you know, 15, 16 minutes to go. So Dr. Carver, what do you got for us? <laughs> um, I was just thinking about the community building and you know, yeah, there's, there's all these negative things going on, but I also see people forming these really strong communities and reaching out and helping each other and just coming together over shared views. Um, I can't tell you how many people, wonderful people I met by running for our local school board. And I'm, I'm, it's just amazing. I mean, if you go to church and you go to these groups and you meet these people and then you meet more people through them, it's like an extended family. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how we take care of one another. We might get to a point where we can't rely on our schools at all. We might be, um, you know, having local schools or little um, PMA, which is a private membership association or Christian schools, or, or just keeping it really small, where we have these small, um, um, what's the term here? It starts with a C, I'm drawing blank. 
co-op? Co-op. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Perfect. Yeah, small co-ops. And likewise for um, farmers markets and trading and bartering and, oh, I have a garden, but you have chickens. Let's let's trade and let's help each other out. I think mm -hmm. we need to do more of that, more turning off the phone, turning off the computer, you know, going over to our neighbor and, and just helping out. Can I help you with your garden? You know, or so-and-so broke their wrist. Can I help you get your groceries this week? Mm -hmm. We have lost touch with what it means to be human. And I think now is the perfect time to connect with that. So no, it's not all gloom and doom because some really good things have come out of this socially that allows us to reconnect in a stronger way than we had before. What do you oh, think? Oh, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, one of my favorite ex expressions is that we threw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> um, and so much about modern life, we thought, wow, that's really hard to do. Let's, let's invent something to make our lives easier. That's, that's throwing out the bathwater. But we had no idea of the babies in there. We didn't um, even something something like saying, oh, we don't have to teach children how to write cursive anymore. And there was a, a, a brilliant woman who studied the brain. It was like a 10-year study and cursive writing. And the what parts of the brain fire up because... Um, it's natural for us to write with this curved motion with our hands flowing. Printing, which is, you know, angular, that is not an, a natural human movement, but the cursive is. And you learn more. So those early um, years of learning that cursive and then moving to print, we lost some value of brain development that we didn't even know was there. And there's there's just so many other examples where we did something and it made our lives easier, but the trade-off was, you know, and like, hello, our phones, right? I can just, I don't have to go over to her house, but well, I can just text her, blah, 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 and send a picture, right? But you think about those moments when you're in the room with somebody and, and, the, and the relationships that develop and the conversations that happen and those human moments and the, and, and the touch and everything else that goes with it, that's missing. And I think we're just now really beginning to understand how our souls and our health need that really close contact, that interaction. Um, yeah, some really good babies have lost, but we, we're, be, we're being shown it. So the silver lining of COVID has really been showing us so much about modern life that um, we might want to go back to some more old-fashioned ways of doing things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could look at the Amish and see that, you know, it may have seemed strange, but maybe they had the right idea, just keeping things simple and focusing on family values. And, you know, I, I know that their health, for one, is much better than most of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, what are you going to be working on next? Are you, um, we know upcoming in April is the Board of Health meeting uh, in Washington State where they're going to be um, talking about and voting on whether or not they're gonna move forward with um, adding the COVID-19 shot to the schedule. Um, are you doing any research? Are you going to be communicating with them anymore with information? Yes, as I finish up looking into the multi-system inflammatory syndrome, I wanna finish that up, but then the other thing too is is that I should write um, about VARES because it's been completely 
misrepresented in multiple ways. And a friend of mine, his name is Albert Benavides. He does research and he's found out that they are deleting reports and we're not talking duplicate reports. So the argument about how it's not reliable, it's just passive reporting does not hold weight. It, it's a felony to falsify a report. Most doctors don't have time. I mean, we've been through the underreporting factor, but the fact that they're actually removing reports and it's not just any report. There's a very specific toddler report of a toddler dying and they remove that. They are specifically removing very serious events with children. Mm -hmm. And that that has to be brought to light. That is not okay. Mm -hmm. It makes it way too easy for them to deny what's going on. And, and I'm sorry to take it to that direction again. But the other thing that's coming up is that the FDA is going to eventually be making their decision on the EUA now that they push that decision back. And I think we all need to be very vigilant. We need to do public commenting and communicate there so that they don't try and approve it right underneath everyone's nose by moving the date. So we're not watching as, as vigilantly as we were before. Exactly. The the public pressure does work for them to know that the eyes are on them. Um, it helps slow down. The um, Pfizer had asked for the six-month to four-year-old EUA um, authorization, and I forget how many tens of thousands of public comment there were saying, no, don't do it. So they decided to pause it for a while and do some more study. And, but they're going to be coming back, I believe, sometime in April, isn't it? Um, late April, coming back with, with their decision whether to add that or not. Um, I feel, I, I really do hope that the, the folks at the FDA know that they are at the brink of becoming, if, if not already there, completely untrusted and unrespected, and that their end is nigh as far as an organization, they need to just be completely dismantled and reshaped. They should not be getting 70% of their income from the companies that they license. That's right. kind of a yeah. conflict of interest right there. Um, yeah, just no longer trusted. If they're going to be harming our children, they're already harming our children down to what, what age is it down to now? Um, um, as far as the FDA? Yeah, are the EUAs at five and up oh, already? Oh. Mm -hmm. But our state um, state board of health is deciding for children from preschool all the way through school. So that starts at age three. And I don't see how they can recommend or require that if the FDA has not given emergency use authorization for the six-month to four-year-olds. Yeah, and if they decide to, like, do it in stages, um, that's... That's just as bad. And I absolutely don't understand how they could even consider it. As I said at the very beginning of this, when you've got the shots that not only come with known risks, long-term risks are unknown. The shots don't stop transmission. Right. And any protection wanes in months. You're risk potentially risking this child's life for two months of still being able to transmit in the classroom. Mm -hmm. It's it's mind boggling. And when you have the Surgeon General of Florida who came out and said that yeah. it should not be used for healthy children, what does that tell you? There's yeah. places like the UK where they've dropped all their mandates. And so if you have areas like that that are they're coming to reality, but yet there are places like Washington State and California and some others that are just really clinging to that bit of power that they got, 
What does that say about them and their agencies? I feel if they continue to push this, they're going to lose all credibility and all public trust. Yeah, I agree. But I've got and I've got hope for Washington. So, you know, all of you awesome folks out in Washington State, my friends and family, I'm still very active with Informed Choice Washington and with all my peeps out there. Love you guys all. Um, visit me in Tennessee when you're out here. Uh, but I, there, there's just so much activism um, and people getting together figuring out how to be active citizens. A lot of it's because we were very complacent. You know, until my 50s, I was very complacent. I voted, but I didn't really know who I was voting for. I voted because I wanted to be a good citizen and vote, not because I really took any time to explore the issues. You know, I was a very surface citizen for most of my life. Um, and, you know, so I really understand that I'm not judging anybody, but COVID, holy cow, people woke up and realized if you don't participate, other people will run your government and then you're in trouble. So I see good things. Elections are coming up. Um, there are amazing people that are beginning to run. So I just encourage people, really do your homework, research, get involved. It is so important. It's time to um, leave complacency behind and um, show up at these meetings, ask the hard questions. Uh, you know, and if they're in office now, look, look at their voting record and see where they stood on things that you disagree with. And uh, I think we all need to not vote party line, but vote a freedom line. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's that's really what it's um, what's all about. Yeah. So I'm very happy for that. Very happy to see that this revolution that needed to happen is beginning to happen you know, all over the place. There's there's independent medical um, health companies starting up that are outside that system that are freeing people. And, you know, hopefully the money and the major institutions will follow. We'll see, you know, that trifecta of big pharma, big medicine, and big insurance that dominates, you know, all these other little places will come in and, and fill the gap. And if we don't feed the monster then, you know, there right. we are. Yeah, got to quit feeding the monster. So tell me what else is going on with you. What What are your other areas of interest or is this taking up most of your time right now? Yeah, this is a big chunk of it. There was a, a publication that um, I had asked some people to help me write and I might have a chance to get back to that spring quarter or summer, we'll see. Okay. But other than that, I mean, it's just really connecting with people, working locally in my community and getting involved because I'm like you, Bernadette. I, I was not very involved before this happened and COVID has really opened my eyes. And now that my eyes are open, I could never go back to just doing, you know, my normal day-to-day -day stuff. I, I know what's going on and I have to speak out. And I hope that everybody who learns the truth starts speaking out and starts supporting one another. And yeah. there is there is no shame in this. I mean, whether whether a person, whatever their journey, whether they got the vaccine, got boosted, got their whole family boosted, now there's new information coming out. And all mm -hmm. we can do is move forward from whatever place that we're at and support others who are in their journey too. And it's hard. It's really hard for anybody to find out that they have been lied to or that someone has not been completely honest with them. And we have to support those people and say, hey, yes. it's okay. It's, it's okay. okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and our movement historically has been arms wide open, you know, no judgment, because most people in the medical freedom informed consent movement that, that were in the movement pre-COVID 
we entered it because we experienced or our children experienced vaccine injury. So we understand that journey because we were making those choices and then we experienced harm. And then when we, we went down the rabbit hole and did the science belatedly. So no judgment, you know, on other people who were just doing what they believe to be right. We welcome everybody and, and, and our movement has the experience of medical doctors um, and functional doctors and naturopathic doctors and chiropractors who've been studying um, the injury and not only the injury of the products, but the injury of the, um, the stigma of the injury, the stigma of deciding to stand against the status quo, all of that, all of that is part of health and healing. And that's what our movement has to offer. And, and we welcome the influx of, of new people. We're, however long it takes you to get here, we'll be here waiting, right? <laughs> it's wonderful. I love that. Yes. Thank you so much, Bernadette. I really appreciate everything that you're doing. And I love your shows. I've learned a ton. I love how you touch on different topics. And I don't know how you stay on top of all the bills in two different states. It just amazes me. I can barely stay on top of one state. <laughs> well, we got it. We got a, a good team in, in both states. And there's just a couple that I'm personally working with here in, in Tennessee that that I try to monitor. You can't do it all, but you know, you do what you can, you know that's all that that's all you can do you, you do your best effort always take time for yourself take time to breathe and relax and i've got my infrared sauna set up and probably do that here a little bit later tonight oh so, wonderful yeah well thank you for coming on the show again i love you visiting us and bringing us what you're doing um take care you can find her at her Substack. tell me the name of it again again real quick silence no more Silence No More on Substack. You've been listening to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll see you next week. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. 
From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, the high wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.